0: Ahead and warn you guys. Um, we're talking about something called millennialism. So before we even get into that, how many of y'all have even heard of this before? How many folks have heard of the thousand year or the idea of the thousand year reign of Christ? All right. Well, learned a little something, I guess. Um, this is a, a really growing one of the reasons we're talking about it is the really growing movement. Uh, I say movement. It's It's kind of a, it dates back to a long time, but it's become really popular in uh, certain streams of sort of uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, Those of us who are old enough to remember Y2K might know the meaning of the word millennial, millennium, because you remember 2000. It was a big deal because it was a new millennium. Well, millennialism just means the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, It comes from, is the other reason we're talking about it, a verse in Revelation. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the, the thing that kind of started this whole belief, turn to Revelation chapter 20. If you guys remember, we were going through Revelation a couple weeks ago. Uh, we came to this sort of idea in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. And I said we'd probably pick a time and sort of break down uh, just this one Really, belief system that has cropped up from this one verse of the Bible. Um, I'll read the first one before I make anybody uncomfortable. Before I turn it over, make anybody uncomfortable. But our so Revelation twenty, and I'll read uh, the first few verses. uh, I think to verse three of Revelation chapter twenty. And John writes, "Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan." And bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So, um, I did a lot of a lot of digging because I really I really try to whenever we do this stuff be kind of honest if I'm presenting something that other people that I might not agree with, and I try to really understand well why do they believe that. And from what I could tell, most of this doctrine or this idea hinges pretty much on this one section of Revelation, on a very literal interpretation of it, um, and, and it touches some other ideas, like when we talk about uh, the nation of Israel, and we talk about uh, it kind of an idea Paul really expands on in Romans, which is the idea that the church is sort of uh, the continuation of Israel spiritually, that you know it was God's chosen people, and well, after Jesus, we're all God's chosen people. I mean, it interprets some ideas like that a little bit differently. Um, does anyone remember, there's a really popular book series, it was sort of Christian fiction, it was called the Left Behind series. Um, so if you've ever heard of the rapture, or the idea of the tribulation with like a capital T, uh, the rapture, the tribulation, thousand year reign, well all of that is millennialism stuff. Um, so, got this little timeline, not how many of y'all past row three can see it, but I made this little timeline to kind of understand, uh, the major views of millennialism. There's really three, and uh, one of them will sound more familiar to us than the others, but the first one is called pre-millennialism. It just means that millennial, the thousand-year reign, is going to happen before judgment. So if you can't see what I actually wrote, you might can at least see the green marker, and the green marker sort of represents the, the millennialism belief. Um, they believe that there will be a rapture. there will be the tribulation. Um, like I said, if you remember the left-behind books that were super popular, that's kind of what those were about. They were a fictionalization of these events and this belief system. Um, so that is called premillennialism. Postmillennialism is a little bit different, um, and we start digging into what it is deeper. Um, it's really similar, but it's this idea that uh, – just know there's two, really. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't fully understand the differences enough to really get too deep into it, and so when we talk about it, uh, we'll mostly talk about really two beliefs, but just know that there's premillennialism, postmillennialism, post and then what would be largely the view of not just the Churches of Christ, but really the, the view of Christianity as a whole for the most part of the history of the Church, and that is amillennialism. Which just means, not a thousand years. We would believe that Jesus came, and since Jesus, there has been his symbolic reign of Jesus on earth. Um, We get this idea from scriptures where he tells the disciples the kingdom is at hand. Many times, when they would say at hand, they mean like right now. Um, He he said, you know, the kingdom is within you. He said, uh, there are some who are there are some uh, who will not who will not die until my kingdom returns in uh, full glory. If you're familiar with those phrases, that's where we get the idea that well, we're living in the millennium, the symbolic millennium. We're living in the period of time where Jesus is reigning, that Jesus' is, his kingdom is now. We are the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about why we believe that and what exactly that means in terms of theology and scripture and all that jazz and why we get that belief. Uh, but we will mainly be contrasting that with this top one. And that is the idea that so Jesus came which we all agree with. That's why the cross is on all the timelines. Everybody agrees Jesus came. Um, And they believe that there's a a fixed period of time, and then there's the rapture. If you've ever heard of this idea of the rapture, it's the idea that Christians will all go first, and they'll just vanish, and everyone will be gone. And then there'll be a period of time called the tribulation. And again, a lot of this hinges on very literal interpretations of certain sections of Revelation, which we kind of covered a couple weeks ago. But they believe it will be a tribulation, and that all of those, those bowls and the judgment and the plagues and the, the stuff that we kind of talked about from Revelation, all of that will happen in that seven year period. Um, but, and you know, they disagree on how long the tribulation is. Some of them say seven, some say three years, others say a longer period of time. But the, the, the real important points of it are, where well, we would disagree, is that all Christians get taken up into heaven. There's a period of time where people are left behind, hence the the book series I referenced earlier. That's what that means. Um, And and then there will be this – during this tribulation, it will kind of – a lot of bad stuff will happen. And a lot of bad stuff, and it will kind of force some people to believe in God, and some people will still not believe in God. And during this period of time, uh, Satan will be like let loose on the earth. There will be the Antichrist. That's it. Anytime you've heard someone talk about believing that uh, one individual is the Antichrist – are the Antichrist is a specific person alive right now. They probably believe this. So we might not have heard, uh, we might not have heard them call it millennialism. That, that this doctrine, I'm telling you, this is super popular, especially today, right now, in Western Christianity. Um, it's very, it's very flashy, it's very attention-getting, um, and we'll talk about it uh, a little bit later why it really kind of takes hold. But so it's this idea, you know, Christians get raptured, people get left behind. And then, after this tribulation period, then Jesus comes back. That's what we would typically call the second coming. Then Jesus comes back. And when he comes back, uh, he reigns physically on earth for a thousand years. And then after this thousand-year reign of of paradise and happiness, because, if you remember from Revelation, what we just read, in Revelation 20, verse 2, it says, uh, "...and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years." So they link this to other ideas where Jesus talks about conquering and reigning in his kingdom. And they say, oh, so Jesus' kingdom will be during that thousand year period in which uh, the devil is bound up. Now, keep in mind, Revelation chapter 20 doesn't tell us anything at all about what that thousand years will look like when the devil is bound up. It, it does go on in chapter, uh, in chapter 20 to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, thrones and different other imagery and onto some different ideas. But it doesn't really say what that thousand years will look like. They kind of make the assumption that that is linked to this idea of Jesus' kingdom. And then, after all of that that we've talked about, then there is judgment, final judgment. This mark does not work. Um, So that is really um, the crux of it. That's probably the the most critical part is this idea that Christians are taken up into heaven first – a bunch of stuff happens Jesus comes down just by himself we're still in heaven I guess and then after all of that period of time we are judged so <laughs> um, that is somewhat covers our first question and like I said this is a lot of stuff that is pretty different from what the traditional views of the church of Christ has been as well as other branches of Christianity which is pretty simple Jesus uh, Jesus died Then he rose again. When he rose again, when he came down, when he sent the he he prophesied about the Holy Spirit, and when he sent the Holy Spirit to them in Acts two on Pentecost, that began this millennial timeline. We don't believe it's literally a thousand years, because well, we're at number two right now. So obviously, it was not a literal thousand years. We would say Um, we would call the church God's kingdom. We're not alone in that. We believe Scripture calls the church God's kingdom. Um, Because like I said, Jesus uses his language like the kingdom is at hand, which means right now. Uh, He used phrases like the kingdom is within you. It is among you. And he said very clearly that there are some of you who will not die until my kingdom returns in its glory. Well, is there anybody alive who saw Jesus get crucified? No, there's not. Um, So that in a very quick nutshell is the whole idea of millennialism and like I said if you've heard anybody talk about the rapture or talk about naming an individual like a, a current living person as the antichrist um, this is often associated with predicting the end times, people who think they know when Jesus is coming back this is very, almost always intertwined with that so that's why it's really, that's why it's really popular truthfully to me, that would be my guess is that it's, it's almost always with a, a predictive theology um, Jonestown probably for a lot of the parents. If you remember Jonestown, that was his big thing. The end was coming and so they were all going to kill themselves so they didn't have to live through the tribulation. Um, If you don't know about that, look that up. It's really weird. Um, So, big question that we would ask, you know, does the Bible support millennialism or a millennialist view? So, the first, uh, well, I I, want to start by saying this. There are We've talked about this. There are some scriptures that, if uh, you want to say John, you know, take. Uh, I'm trying to think of a great example. Okay. Something that was kind of jokingly controversial here when I first started uh, was we talked about on Wednesday nights the the miracle that Jesus performed at the wedding where he turned the water into wine. We know right now, even in the churches of Christ, was a big. I would call it a big divide because I'm from a big city, so I know a lot more liberal churches. Maybe you guys, everyone around here is in agreement on it. Uh, But I would say there's a pretty big divide in Christians who think because Jesus performed miracles and turned water into wine, because there was wine at the Last Supper, Christians can drink some alcohol but not get drunk, which is that part clearly in the Bible, right? Um, There are some who would say, no, Scripture says don't drink anything at all. You can think that and I can think the other and we can both think the other is going to heaven. Right, like we can. There are things we can disagree on on what certain verses mean, and we can still sort of have fellowship. I would. I like to think. Not everybody even believes that, I guess. But, um, you know, there are. We can look at one verse or one scripture and say, I don't know what that. Like, half the class we did on Revelation. What do we do? We talked about. Well, some people believe this. Some people believe this. Most of Revelation, you could say. Well, I think it means this. I think it's about this person, and I think it's in this period of time. And I could say, I don't think it's about that, and we're okay. We're still, you know, we're, we're still going to church together. I'm still going to call you a Christian. We're still going to respect each other. We still essentially believe the same thing, right? Um, obviously, on the other end of that spectrum, if we want to call it that, is non-negotiable topics, right? One God. <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. All those happened. Um, so like, there's kind of things that are up for debate and there's things that are not. In and of itself... Believing in this, um, to me, from my understanding, not what I would call a salvation issue. Everybody with me? Like If I want to say Revelation is symbolic, and you want to say, no, it's literal, and I know when the second coming is going to happen, all this and this and this, okay, that's fine. Not a big deal. But the reason I wanted to talk about it is because a lot of the people who believe this sometimes have some other beliefs and they attach to it some other concepts that we would say, hold on, we need to talk about that. Does that make sense? So in and of itself, it's not really hugely problematic. And if you want to believe parts of Revelation are literal, that's fine. Totally, I'm not going to have an issue with you. But what we're going to talk about is, uh, and what we're going to spend most of our time talking about, and why we might talk about it next week, is we will talk about things I've called problematic theologies associated with this belief system. Um... I would. Uh, I had an illustration here, and I didn't write it down, so I forgot it. So I'm, I'm struggling to remember what I was going to say. But essentially, it's just the idea that you know there there are, there's some flexibility in views, but uh, like I said, most people, a lot of people who believe this also believe other things that we would uh, that we would have issues with, and we'll talk about not not just because we personally don't like it but it starts to get into lots of conflict with other scripture. And that, to me, is really the sticking point. If you want to believe one verse means something, and I want to believe it means something else, that's fine. But if you want to tell me one verse means something that conflicts with other parts of scripture, well, now I have an issue with it. Um, So, a big one, like I said, really the main one, I would say, is that this idea, millennialism, is often taught with what I would call a predictive or like a, a repent now or forever be damned kind of theology. Um, it's the idea that uh, there'll be signs. There'll be signs and signals that if, as we get closer first, it's the idea that when Jesus came and when he left and, and when his ministry was kind of over, it's the idea that there was a fixed time, that, that a clock started in... Like, I'll, I'll read a, a quote by an early Christian writer who a lot of people kind of would, would drew from into this, and one of the reasons it's popular now. He said that uh, in 6,000 years must be accomplished in order that the Sabbath may come, the rest, the holy day on which God rested from all his works. For the Sabbath is the symbol of the future kingdom of the saints when they shall reign with Christ when he comes from heaven, as John says in his Apocalypse, for a day with the Lord is a 1,000 years. Since then... In six days, God made all things. It follows that in 6,000 years, all things must be fulfilled. Um, and again, e- even in people who believe this, like anything, there's some disagreements. But a big part of this is this idea that, in sort of a symbol of creation, God made the earth in six days and then he rested. Well, creation is 6,000 years. In the 7,000-year period is the day of rest. That's the, the reigning of Christ. That's going to be the Sabbath. That's going to be the symbolic Sabbath. So for starters, uh, those of you who are Bible scholars might realize we're, we're coming up on that 6,000-year timeline. Um, we you – know, I, I don't remember the exact dates, but the idea is that before Jesus from the giving of the law was about 4,000 years in the Old Testament. Well, we're at 2,021 years since Jesus – so that, that's why this was a big, it's a big deal. We're getting into that timeline. Um, but they would also point at uh, another scripture. So if someone could read for me First Thessalonians, we'll flip to another part of the Bible, First Thessalonians from chapter 5. Not the whole chapter. I'll tell you how much of it when I get there in just a second. 1 Thessalonians from chapter 5. And if you will read from verse 1 to verse 5. First five verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Someone's been reading that for us.
1: Concerning times and seasons, brethren, there is no need to write to you, for you must know accurately that the day of the Lord is come as a thief in the night. And when they are saying peace and safety, and sudden suddenly destruction comes upon them, as birth pains upon a woman and the child, and they shall not they shall not by any means escape. But you brethren are not in darkness, but the day should come upon you as a thief. For all of you are children of light.
0: So, I've got kind of a discussion question in the sense that there's not really a right answer to this one or a wrong answer. Um, just if we just kind of read those five verses there, um, what, uh, w- what does Paul mean or what do you think he's, he's saying we are when he says we're children of the light? That the, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night and we are not children of the night, we're children of the day, as he says right there in verse 5 what's he mean by that what What does he mean when he calls us children of the day we're we all born during the, the daylight hours I was born at 7 p.m. so probably not although in June maybe but. what does it mean to be children of nothing
1: bad happens in the day the bad, bad folks running down
0: okay okay
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so you, that makes us what? Not that when he comes, we'll be doing good things; they'll be doing bad things. Kind of a so he's kind of making a statement about our actions. Okay, I would say if I looked at. Uh, you know, maybe verse 8 of First Thessalonians, just a little bit down if I cheated and I just skipped down to first 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. I would say that, that would line up. That's probably a pretty good, interp- one good interpretation of it for sure. Any other thoughts? Or any other ideas of what it means to be children of the day? Would anyone suggest from reading this, that it means we will know when that day is going to come. That when he says it comes like a thief in the night, we're children of the day, so we'll know when the thief is going to come. Probably not. I would bet most of us would probably say it's a bit of a stretch. Well, (laughs) um, like I said, I do my best to present these kind of beliefs honestly. Most of this belief hinges on Revelation 20, um, but a big part of it is an interpretation of this verse right here. Um, this idea that, well, Paul calls us children of the day, so we will have some knowledge of when Christ is going to come. They combine that with Jesus talking about uh, signs of the end of the age. I think that's in Matthew 28. Um, he talks about signs of the end of the age, and they put kind of two and two together on that, and they say, well, Jesus said there's going to be signs. Paul says we're children of the day, so we can read the signs, and we can know I guess they say that Paul's analogy is that, you know, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, we're children of the day. If, if a thief comes during the day, you can see him. I don't know about that. a thief comes during the day, just fun side note, most robberies happen during the day because everyone's at work, first off. <laughs> they don't want to kill everybody in the house. Most robberies happen in the middle of the day nowadays. But uh, they kind of make this argument that well, Paul calls us children of the light... And so that means we have a little bit of foreknowledge and we are not surprised. So remember when I said some interpretations I can say, you know, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. What might be wrong with this idea that we can know? Well,
1: one thing
0: Jesus himself don't know. Bingo. Let's, we got about three, if, uh, I'll make this quick, but if I, I need three people. To read a, if you could just read one verse for me. Who wants to read Matthew twenty four forty two? Yeah. Okay. So he he's going there. Let me know when you find it. But the second one's going to be Matthew twenty five ten. I'm sorry, um, not Matthew twenty five. The second one's going to be Mark thirteen thirty five. Jerry's got Matthew. Uh, first one is Matthew twenty four forty two, and if someone could get Mark thirteen thirty five, we can get a second reader. You got Mark? Oh, you got Mark? Okay, <laughs> I'll give you Luke since you put your hand up. So Claudette's gonna get Mark. Walk, uh, Walker, you get Luke twelve thirty nine if you could for me. So Jerry, if you got it, go ahead and read Matthew twenty four forty two. Okay. About Mark thirteen thirty-five. If actually, if you could read Mark thirty thirteen thirty-five, and if you could read the verse thirty-seven.
1: Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning.
0: Okay. And Walker, if you could read Luke twelve thirty-nine, and if you could read thirty-nine and forty. Okay, so we've done a lot of studying out of Paul in the last six months. When Paul writes his letters, does he normally agree or disagree with Jesus? <laughs> normally agrees him. In fact, so many of his phrasings, um, he almost repeats word for word what Jesus said. There's a, there's a ton of stuff which is so fascinating to me because if you know Paul, Paul was being a Pharisee while Jesus was alive. He was persecuting the church. But when Paul writes his letters, there's a lot of stuff. When he writes, he writes almost word for word the way Jesus taught it. It would be kind of weird if Paul decided on his own after Jesus said three different times. And actually, you mentioned another one. Um, I don't know the chapter, book, and verse on that, but that would have been even better to read. Um, Yeah, Jesus says, uh, not even the son knows the hour. The father does, but not the son. I think that's in John. Do you know where that's at? I don't, I'm just curious if you knew it offhand, because I don't, but I, I think it's in John. But I, Jesus says something along the lines of, you know, for not even the Son knows, the Father knows. And then he says, in all three accounts of the Gospels, probably at different times on multiple occasions, by the way. Some Gospels, you know, there's parts where they're synoptic, they're covering the same period of time. Uh, not all of those that we read were necessarily at the same sermon or the same teaching, So at least multiple occasions, Jesus said, no man knows the hour. Um, And in one parable, of course, he says, if the thief knew, he would be at home. It would be kind of strange, in direct contradiction to the words of Jesus, for Paul to go out on his own and say, actually, because we're children of the day, we're going to know. All... Did you find it? It Matthew 24, verse But concerning that day and hour, no one knows the angels Lord, no one knows how the angels of the heavens, nor the Son, nor the Father only. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fun verse to dig into when you want to talk about the Trinity, just as a side note. Yeah. Um, And that would have been actually just before the section we read from Matthew. So Matthew 24, 36, not even the Son knows, but the Father. So it would be kind of strange for Paul to go out on this limb and say, actually, because some of you are paying attention, you're going to know. So why, if I think of just in my lifetime, I I would probably have to use both hands to count them, do people claiming to be Christians so repeatedly say they've got it figured out? Anyone want to solve that riddle for me? (laughs) It's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, some of y'all have been around even longer than I have. How many times did you say people have said, oh, the world's going to end this? I mean, I remember, I vaguely, I'll admit I was pretty young, but I I remember because of the computers and because of stuff, right, 1999 was just going to shut down the planet (laughs) whenever everything rolled over. Um, I remember not that long ago in 2012, when the Mayan calendar and all that in 2012 and like uh, everyone was convinced because the Mayans had all this and that right 2012 the world was going to There was even a movie about the end of the world that came out in 2012 and then of course last year a lot of people I'd say about the last yeah I'd say about all three of the last presidential elections I've had somebody tell me they knew who the Antichrist was and they knew when the world was going to end <laughs> um, few things could be more contradictory to scripture Jesus says it a hundred times, a hundred different ways. Um, I could go to a lot of Paul's own letters where he repeats this in Galatians. In Galatians 2 through 4, he, he, he talks about the end, of the end times and the second coming a lot there too. Um, when we talk about interpretation of Scripture, there is certainly flexibility on what we want to understand from one specific verse. We've got to remember, whatever conclusion we come to, it's got to fit with the rest of the verses out there. I mean, even if you want to go so far as to say, uh, you know, maybe Paul wrote some things that were, were kind of iffy, because there are people who will do that when we talk about the roles of women or we talk about views on homosexuality. There's there's people who will say, well, Paul was kind of you know he was he didn't really know what he was he was he was kind of wrong on some things, and that gets into a whole inspiration thing. But there are people who will say that. I don't know a lot of people who claim to be Christian who will say Jesus was wrong all three times he said something. But people do it. People claim they knew when the world... So one of what I would call a problematic theology, and again, not this understanding itself, but a teaching that is almost always tied into this, is the idea that someone has punched out on their calendar knowing exactly when this date is going to happen, or this date, the rapture. Everybody's going back, and they've got it figured out that there's going to be the tribulation, and they've got it figured out who the Antichrist is going to be, and they've got it figured out that this is what it means about these signs of the end of the age. That is absolutely... If you want to believe the thousand-year reign is literal, no problem. That's fine with me. You want to tell me you know when Jesus is coming back? I got some problems with that scripturally. You you could not be more in direct opposition to what Scripture says on the topic, unfortunately. So that's really the big first one. Um, The second that we will probably not finish today is... The problem of the physical kingdom. Um, This is, you can go all throughout Christianity and the history of Christianity and find different people who have different perspectives on the relationship between the church, like the, the body of believers after Jesus, and Israel. Israel, the chosen people of God under the old law. Right? Israel, chosen people of God under the old law, Old Testament, Old Covenant, we've been talking a lot about that lately. And the church, sort of the body of Christians now, universal, all alive today. Um, You can find a lot of people all throughout history, all alive today, who who will talk about how those are related or maybe not related at all, uh, and differing views on that. And for the most part, again, for the most part, you can have a lot of different views that don't necessarily conflict with Scripture. It's all what I would consider really, really... Almost pie in the sky abstract theology It's really highfalutin kind of debate Where they're like well I think when Paul talks about it He means this or does he mean this And it's, it's a lot of stuff that just takes place Sort of in the abstract that doesn't Doesn't change our lives one bit to me um, But sometimes Sometimes it does And this is one of those Where If you want to believe In a, a physical thousand year reign That's fine But a lot of times is another one of those teachings. It is often taught in, in line with uh, a, a, a Christian responsibility to the physical nation of Israel. I don't know if anybody's heard of that before, too. That gets, it's not necessarily a hot-button topic right now. Uh, they call it Zionism or Zionist. Um, it's, it, uh, it seems like it's kind of on a cycle every few years sometimes it's because becomes a hot-button topic. Sometimes it's not. Um, But it's this idea, it's this very political idea that Christians have a responsibility today, Christians today have a responsibility to protect and support without question and with our money, (laughs) oftentimes, when we're talking politics here, uh, the nation of Israel. And and if you just want to say politically you support the nation of Israel, that's fine with me. Again, like I said, flexibility, freedom of views, I'm not going to condemn somebody for that. But if you want to tell me you scripturally think that Christians have a responsibility to Israel we've got a problem because if I'm looking around here I'm willing to bet uh, does anyone happen to know if by blood, not necessarily their faith but by blood or ethnicity they're Jewish I have some extended members of my family that I would consider family that are um, my nose is just bigger because I broke it when I was younger personally but I don't, so no one here is Jewish that they know of okay so all of us would have a problem with a physical interpretation of the nation of Israel. Because from what I understand from Scripture, any belief in Israel continuing to be a physical nation is kind of tied to the idea of a, a physical people. <laughs> like if, if you're going to believe in a physical reign and a physical kingdom and His kingdom is going to be literal and real on earth, and it's, and it's and like I said, when they, talk, when they start talking about the rapture and tribulation, it's, it's all. Almost always tied to this idea of the Holy Land It's going to take place in the Holy Land It's going to be in the Holy Land It's going to be over there That's why we've got to support it and protect it and all this and that Because if we don't, we're not doing our job as Christians In Romans, repeatedly like so, In so many different places that I didn't write it down Because you've really got to read from about Romans 1 to about Romans 8 To get the full picture But repeatedly in Romans Jesus expands Again, he quotes Jesus he references the teachings of Jesus, and he expands on this idea of how the chosen people of God are not just Jews anymore. They're not. It, it, now it's open to everyone. Now the covenant's been open to all. The Messiah has fulfilled the law. Now the covenant's been open up to anyone. It's now perfect. We talked about it just last week, the whole old law, new law thing. Israel cannot be both spiritual and physical anymore. Either you believe that when Jesus was the Messiah and he fulfilled the law... He opened that up to everybody, and now all of us are the chosen people of God, and therefore we don't have to live in the Middle East to worship God anymore. Or you reject Jesus as the Messiah, you reject him as fulfilling the law, and you still believe that the only chosen people of God are the Jews, and the converts to Judaism are the Israelites, and they all pretty much need to be in the Holy Land. You can't really have it both ways, if that makes sense. You can't sit here and say the covenant's open to everyone, so all of us Gentiles in here can be Christians, but we still have an... like When he talks about the kingdom or the, the, you know, his nation, we still think it's the geopolitical entity in the Middle East right now. You kind of got to go one way or the other. Does that make sense? But when people take this view, they kind of pick and choose. And and we'll uh, we we might talk more about that one next week. Um, but I, I guess just to go quickly, come with me to Galatians six sixteen. Galatians six. You guys did a re- a lot of reading. So I'll, I'll take my call my own number here again. But uh, Galatians six sixteen, and and. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So for those of you who might be familiar with some of, some else of Paul's writings, what does it mean to be a part of the Israel of God? I guess I'll give a hint, and I'll read 15, which just comes right before 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision But a new creation. So, what is he saying it means to be a part of the Israel of God? In 15, it has the new people of Godhead was made. And then in 16, it says, into all of God's people. So, I would think it's just talking about that everyone that's God's people. Everyone. So, it's not a matter of whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, but are you a new creation? That's the Israel of God. Um, If we look at... We'll look at one more since we've got some time here still. Turn me to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. First Peter, and someone could read for me First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. First Epistle of Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the perfection of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you. Who is the you in all that? Who is Peter writing to? If we kind of, I mean, you can even cheat. Look over at First Peter 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in all these places in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. All of you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Either being an Israelite matters or it doesn't. And we would say, hopefully, since as we detected earlier, none of us are ethnically Jewish. um, It's been open to all. The covenant is open to all. We're all the royal priesthood. We're all the chosen race. Not from circumcision or uncircumcision, but the new creation. On, on basis of our obedience to God. When Paul's talking in Romans, he talks on and on about it's our faith, not our, our blood that makes us people of God anymore. And actually, and again, this is, this is getting deep too, but he even says, actually, it's, it's always been by faith, um, not by blood that makes you a people of God. So, like I said, to, to believe in a, a physical kingdom is kind of to believe in the continuation of the the physical covenant and the physical holy land and the physical people who belong to that kingdom. Um, you you can't you can't say I believe in a physical. I believe because we we believe as part of this symbolic reign, we also believe Jesus is was a a spiritual king. He was a king in the spiritual sense. He was he was both the lion and the lamb. Right? He was lion in that he was king, but he was the lambs and he was the sacrifice. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't come as a you know a, a warmongering who's gonna fight off and throw all the people out of the holy land like some of the Jews thought. He came in on a donkey, on palm trees, right? And he died. So we, we believe Jesus reigns. Jesus is king, he's exalted through us. Through us, doing this, worshiping him, through through being his kingdom. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We believe Jesus was a spiritual king with a spiritual kingdom. And like all kingdoms, it has to have a people. And we believe that that, that spiritual people is us. But you, but you can't take the, the symbolic route or the spiritual route when it fits and the, the physical route when it fits. But oftentimes, this is, this is taught with the idea of a belief and a support of physical Israel. Um, it is... Tintil. I'm not sure how much more of these I want to get into. But is there any questions about that so far?
1: does the Israel actually believe in?
0: Like what it like the I mean, country or what do you they mean? Don't go to the Holy Bible. Oh <laughs> well, and, and that's the whole issue too, is that's that's probably what confuses me the most about all this is the, the Israelites who are the Israelites of the old testament are not the same people who live in Israel today. <laughs> like, if, like if I moved to Israel today, if I moved there and my unborn child was born there, by law, they would be an Israelite citizen because they were born on Israel. That doesn't suddenly make them a promise of God in Exodus 20. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I, I sort of get the feeling that they're similar to a Catholic church.
0: Who, Israel? How do you mean...
1: Well, they don't, uh, like I they don't go by the, uh, the Holy Bible. I mean, they have their law.
0: They have their own law. Yeah. They, like Israel, the like country.
1: The they got their own law on yeah. the baptism and stuff like
0: that. Yeah. Really, the closest thing to the Israel of the Old Testament would be people who are Jewish today. It would be the Jewish people of today. Not not the physical people that exist within the geopolitical boundaries of israel but the closest thing to it would really just be jews wherever today and that's why i say there are there are some people who reject jesus as the messiah they reject that he came they reject that he started a kingdom and they reject that the covenant has been opened to all who are not jews those people exist they're called jews (laughs) they've a whole they've a whole system of beliefs that are kind of different than ours but if you accept that Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament and you accept that he fulfilled the law and you accept that he opened the covenant to all and not just the blood race, you can't then say, oh, but his kingdom is going to come back and be physical. All that other stuff has meant one thing, but this one very narrow aspect of it is, is physical. I
1: think a lot of the, your religion, as far as Israel go, they're pushed on the people.
0: Like in the in the country,
1: I think, yeah. I yeah. think a lot of it's just like uh, Afghanistan, <coughs> places like this. Yeah, I, they don't let the the women do this. Can't women mm. can't do that? You know, and they got their own beliefs. and, uh, and a lot of people are there is against their beliefs.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to be to be honest, I don't know a ton about the, the politics of like the country of Israel right now. I just know there's always the the debate between Israel and Palestine, and should we support them or should we not support them? And I, you know, like I said, if you want to take the political stance that we should support Israel for your own political reasons, that's fine with me. Just don't start calling something scriptural when it's not. Um, you know, believe what you want to believe, but don't say, I believe this because the Bible says this. That's when, like I said, flexibility and belief, that's where I would start having a problem with it. Um, it's a... It's, uh, It's a misunderstanding of the Messiah, I think, is what a lot of it boils down to. Um,
1: That's what they always say. Well, you've got to support Israel because they're God's people. We're all God's people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You
0: know, yeah.
1: You can't base it on that to uh, protect them, you know. Yeah, everybody needs to be protected, you know.
0: Yeah, and that's why I say if you are if you are Jewish and you reject Jesus as the Messiah and you still worship in a synagogue and you still go by the old law, and like I said, those people exist. And you want to say we should support physical Israel, that's fine, I get that. What confuses me is not at all Jewish, very <laughs> American, uh you know, white blood, Caucasian, Anglo-Saxon Christian people alive today will say that, you know, because of X, Y, and Z sign of the end times, and because of X, Y, and Z about the antichrist we should support the holy land and that like I said they, I allow some flexibility and in, in, in beliefs on things but you just can't you, that is not in scripture
1: just like taking this Bible here the New Testament I can't take this New Testament and go to foreign countries and, and teach what the New Testament says it's like in India places like that what do you mean? Uh, some of them be edgy oh they'll
0: i say, you were losing me at first because I was like, well, I think that's kind of what missionaries do all the time. Um, no, there's plenty of places where it's outlawed. That's true. I don't, I don't think India is one of them because I know one of the guys at school actually has a big part of missions in specifically India and Pakistan. But, yeah, I mean, there's definitely places you wouldn't agree with uh, what we believe. Um, any other thoughts or questions about about millennialism as a whole? I know it's really confusing and complex and weird, um, and If you haven't heard of it at all, it you know I guess maybe you just learned a little something today. But I I promise you, if you get out there and you talk to people, they'll they'll talk about some of the they'll talk around it if you know what I mean. You can hear reference to it, and it's,
1: it's no more weirder than what some people. That's a
0: that's a good point.
1: Kind
0: of <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Not that much weirder than anything else. That's a good point.
1: I mean, it don't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's true.
0: Um, so, I think I actually did. Rarely, when I set up questions, do I actually answer all of them directly. So, I'm glad we did that today. You know, we explained what millennialism is. The Bible, I would say no, does not support it. Um, and we talked about at least.